Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. Today, I'm in conversation with Amanda Vincelli, a cultural organizer based in Montreal. Using arts as a tool for personal, social and economic transformation, Amanda has been developing accessible public programming and collaborative learning initiatives through a practice of commoning and making kin. Amanda is a participant of the School of Infinite Rehearsals Movement 7 with a collective research focus on the notion of community economies. In this conversation, we draw from her experience in community organizing and in non-monetary exchange initiatives to discuss about systems of cooperation and care. Amanda, welcome to Palirum. Thank you. It's great to uh, have you here today and thanks for joining me. I'd like to start this conversation by discussing a little bit about your practice. Over the past decade, you have developed a rather multivalent practice, I would say, Starting off with health science, you then moved to strategic design, media and photography and started to pursue your own artistic practice along with your active engagement with cultural organizations and community programming more broadly. When did you see yourself moving towards a more community-based practice? Well, first I would say that I've always been a very, like you say, people person. So I've always loved collaborating and that's because I think that throughout collaborations, whether it's a positive or less positive experience, they always truly change me and my perspective. Um, I've also always been fascinated by the body representation and also health, uh, more specifically what we consider as healthy and unhealthy and how we go about taking care of ourselves and each other. And these questions still form the basis of all my work and practice. Also, all of these tendencies, I think, have an origin in the fact that my mom is um, works in medicine, but also from being a dancer growing up and uh, being part of a dance team and later a cheerleading team. And in general, I think that it's really like this deep fascination with people that uh, also drew me to photography uh, from a very young age. So I'm also an introvert. Uh, so I think that photography has been a way for me to connect with different people 
in an intimate, but also in a sort of safe way. And I think I really saw photography as a means to create a sort of container for building relationships, new relationships. And um, at least um, that's really how I tried to approach every shoot, like photography shoot. I was always very concerned with creating an environment where the subject, but also myself, would feel as comfortable as possible to be uh, ourselves, to be vulnerable with each other, and to be uh, fully present um, in the space together. So I always put a lot of time and care in creating a space. Um, and I think uh, that was really the most important aspect of, of doing photography for me. And weirdly, I also found that it was the only way I could create good images, uh, but not just good images, but like the to create a representation that also felt right. So when I reflect back uh, on my time uh, working in photography, I would say that it's really during this period that um, I developed organizing skills. Um, to, because to me, organizing, it's, it's a similar experience in the sense that it has everything to do with putting a lot of care in creating a container to foster connection, to make people feel safe, to be vulnerable with each other, and to fully express themselves. And I think it, organizing is really about facilitating, holding, and reflecting the, all the complexity that emerge in that space of connection. So uh, during my last year living in New York, I also started organizing a film club with a couple of friends. Uh, it was an experiment in decentralizing curation in the sense that people who attended the screenings volunteered to curate the following screenings. So there were only a few guidelines and no overarching teams. At the beginning of each screening, the curator was asked to propose two films and express their emotional, their, their emotional connection to them. So why they believed they were important for people to watch these films. And then the guests were invited to vote on the films that were proposed. So my role was to coordinate the screenings, securing what was needed to make it happen, like equipment, space, etc., and for communicating about the events, so get, getting people to come. So here, too, I was responsible for the container, uh, and the content was really generated through a collaborative process with everyone uh, that was participating. So this, it's this, um, like developing art practice that brought me to Los Angeles to pursue an MFA in photo and media. And it was there that I was introduced to a few European men who designed a beautiful space in downtown LA. Uh, they had uh, the intention to create a space for collaborations and experimentation amongst multidisciplinary creatives. Initially, I personally used the space to organize more screenings, like the ones in New York, and uh, that evolved into creating experimental dinners in collaboration with different artists. I also shot my own films there uh, using the space. Uh, so through all these experiences uh, of organizing at, uh, at the space, I noticed how it was mostly used by LA transplants like me. And I became really concerned, uh, but also interested in making it more accessible to locals and generally uh, to make it more open and accessible. So basically, I wanted to common the space so it could be used uh, by a range of cultural workers and community organizers in L.A. 
as well as find as find ways to create opportunities for these people encountering each other and for potential future collaborations. So we talk to a lot of different people with relevant practices in order to understand better what was needed locally and and from everything that we heard, we developed the organization and its programs. So Naval was really built through a very iterative process, talking to people, understanding um, what was needed. So I would say that I began to develop myself more fully to a community-based practice through uh, building Naval. Through my experiences organizing and collaborating at Naval, I came many times face-to-face with my own limitations and blind spots, particularly when trying to change the structure to a more cooperative one. So I would say this was a reflection of my own lack of experience with organizing and in some moments, a lack of awareness of my own positioning in this work. Uh, But also, I think it was just a reflection of what happens when you push yourself outside of your comfort zone and you work in a space that is diverse, uh, where different perspectives uh, collide. So this is what pushed me to investigate this further by pursuing studies in community economic development in Montreal. Uh, So it was a way to also learn more about the rich history of cooperatives and cooperative education in Quebec. Thank you for walking us through your life path, which um, sounds very exciting, but also very organic, like the way that you moved from uh, one field to another. And I think that was uh, my intention when I asked you the, this question, to reveal how the relationships that uh, you build over time moved you from one place to another. But I'd like to go back to Naval um, a little bit. You mentioned that uh, there were a lot of challenges, your lack of organizing in the beginning. And as part of Naval, you supported and co-developed numerous community-based uh, cultural programs. What I'm thinking is that uh, bringing a community together is one thing, but uh, in order for us to build more equitable structures that foster community ownership and participation, we should also look into our own governance structures and the ways that we organize our work. I know that uh, this has been a keen interest of yours, and I would like to ask you what kind of structures and systems of sharing did you experiment with towards that direction? Yeah, so... One of the main programs I created at Nable is called Assemblies. And it responded to this uh, specifically, the question you're asking around how to experimenting with different governance structures. So it really emerged from that desire to engage more people in the community, so beyond the team, in this process of thinking through how to cultivate a more equitable and healthier culture within the organization and within the community, essentially. So the aim was to create a space to practice facilitative and collaborative leadership as well. And Assemblies was created as a community-led platform for peer learning, for collaborative research and creation that is also grounded in social and environmental justice. So the idea was uh, also for to use Assemblies as a space where the Naval team would host at least one group every round to investigate how the governance of the project could be more equitable. That's not exactly what happened, but because we came too busy with uh, running assemblies. 
But in general, Naval as a project was created with the intention to be a sort of resource center for cultural workers and anyone who related, a place uh, to share knowledge and resources and simply to be inspired to collaborate. So the goal was to create a cultural and community space that is welcoming, that invites people to use their creativity and together to imagine an attempt to actualize a more just world. So Naval is basically a project invested in commoning in the sense that its focus is on bringing diverse people together to resist oppressive systems like capitalism, colonialism, and patriarchy. And to do that by creating our own economy, by means of sharing more, uplifting each other, depri deprivatizing spaces, and redistributing resources. So they were, there were other programs with similar aims than assemblies. For example, we created a space for skill sharing, where community members were invi invited to host participatory workshops for specific skills development. We also created another program called WID for what you're, what you're doing. Uh, that was about sharing work in progress and to receive feedback from different community members. Uh, so the focus of all these programs was always on learning, sharing, and experimenting together. Before na uh, leaving Naval, I also formed a working group to look at how we could create more systems for sharing resources. So a sort of time bank that isn't one-to-one, -one, so with, uh, with equity as its core principle. And because of the pandemic, we weren't able to focus on developing the project at the time. But personally, I've, I've, I've kept collaborating with one of the members of this group. Uh, his name is Nicolas Grenier. He's an artist as well. And he was part of the Naval Collective and a participant member of the Assemblies on the Commons. Our project is called Common Pool. It's a name that comes from a book uh, of Eleanor Ostrom on governing the commons, which we read in the assembly. With Common Pool, our goal is to develop a flexible, non-monetary framework and tool to be used by a network of communities of practice for exchanging goods, services, and resources. And to develop this framework, We are looking at how we can combine the flexibility of the gift economy, the practicality and accountability of time banking, and the civic engagement involved in the practice of commoning. Um, so our hope is to create a sort of toolkit, basically, that could be used and adapted by different communities or groups of people according to their specific needs and contexts. And at the same time, a system as practical as money, in the sense that it would remain somewhat compatible across all participating communities. So it's a really, really ambitious project, and it's difficult to imagine it working on a large scale. Uh, we're also still in the research phase and looking at different governance models that would make sense. Personally, I'm very interested in the governance model of Indigenous Solidarity Funds in the U.S., which I've studied last year. And uh, those governance models, I refer to them as solidarity-based governance model. In the case of the Indigenous Solidarity Funds, a group of uh, settlers are doing the fundraising and admin work following the leadership of a particular Indigenous group. 
But in the case of common pool, it's really conceived in a way that it will accommodate whichever structures make most sense for each group and their specific purposes. So there will be no one way to use it. Um, because I really think, well, we really think that governance is an ever evolving, um, process. It's not fixed. It's really a practice that's context specific. So my whole practice is about that. And the, all the different projects that I'm involved with are just different strategies. I'm uh, glad that you're bringing the example of the common pool because, um, I think that in order for us to practice a different economy, the thing that we have to do is also to collectively reconceptualize the notion of value. And I'm wondering from your experience with non-monetary exchange initiatives and alternative currencies, how can a community generate a different conception of value? So I think to decenter money as the main tool and violent tool for valuing and ascribing value to things is the main goal of a project like Common Pool. But more and more, I actually personally think that um, Common Pool needs to account for money in some way and not be strictly non-monetary, not, not a strictly non-monetary framework. Uh, but through all my projects and community engagement, uh, it's fundamentally always about shifting what values and priorities are centered basically to move from centering profit and less growth and individualism to centering cooperation and the welfare of all people on the planet. And as Gibson Graham puts it, it's about an ongoing process of negotiating how to survive well together. So it starts, it always starts with what values are centered. Then I think it's about how do you put these values in practice by balancing individual and, and group needs while accounting for non-humans and the environment. So, of course, it means dealing with all the contradictions that will inevitably arise is a big part of it. And specifically because this kind of practice uh, goes against how a majority of us have been socialized. But I also wanted to share that uh, during the residency, we had the chance to exchange with someone living in and working with Colombos in Brazil. And I was really inspired by the principles behind the barter system that exists between the Colombos. So what's interesting is that equity is really built in their system. So exchanges are not one-to-one, -one, but they're need-based. For example, if I have a household of three and you of seven, I will give you what you need for seven people and you will give me what I need for three. So it's not about creating an equal exchange, but one that responds to the need of each party. So this is for sure something that we're striving to create with the common pool tool framework, etc. So it's um, really about to make sure we account for the fact that we don't have all the same needs and that we live in a deeply unequal society where we don't have all the same access. So in Montreal as well, I'm involved with a citizen-led local currency project called ILO. It's a project that was already launched and run in 2018, but it was abandoned. And the group I'm a part of is trying to relaunch it this year. And that project aims to engage citizens in creating and managing a currency alternative to 
the dollar in our case, that will support and reward eco-responsible values and practices in specific neighborhoods and more broadly in Montreal. So the goal of the project is to relocalize the economy to counter speculative financial systems and bring more proximity to exchanges. So the project is uh, in a sort of beta phase, so it's a bit difficult to speak about it right now. But I think overall, what's really valuable about it is that it will connect different actors, so citizens and local businesses, which are all trying to build alternatives um, to source locally, to reduce their footprint, to run more democratically and more equitably. And through the project, another goal is really to foster peer learning within the structure and to help build the grounds for broader mobilization against harmful environmental and social policies. Amanda, we've mentioned a lot uh, the term community in our conversation. And, uh, but what actually makes a community? That's the ultimate question. But I actually have a very simple and short answer for that. Uh, more broadly, community to me is about kinship. It's about acknowledging our interconnectedness with all beings, sentient and non-sentient. And it's the process of cultivating relations with each other and the environment in a way that honor that. But more simply, a community is, I think, generally understood, and as I understand it, a group of people who has something in common. It could be cultural, it could be a neighborhood, for example, but it can also be a group who come together more intentionally around a set of values and or a shared purpose. That brings me to the next question, which has to do about your movement group as part of the School of Infinite Rehearsals, where you had to create together the space of collective uh, negotiation driven by a common theme. And I would say that as a group, you indeed formed a temporary community economy by managing to address each other's needs and desires. And I'm curious to know, how did you build this common ground together? I think we built common ground mainly by prioritizing getting to know each other first. So putting the focus on the relationships we were building with one another over any particular outcome or project. So we had at the beginning many brainstorm, actually throughout, many brainstorm and mapping sessions uh, within which we were mainly interested in better understanding what was our respective frame of reference and experiences as it pertains to community economies. So we wanted to see where do we converge? Where do we diverge? What are we each most interested in exploring together? And, and as well as the areas where we could learn from one another. We were also interested in exploring what we would do with our like shared time, but also with our collective budget and, and try to find align where we aligned and where we didn't. So our time really became about accommodating all of our interests, but within the constraints of the residency. And that space of negotiating that, to me, has a lot to do with my understand, my own understanding of what community economies are in practice. So as, as for our group, we ended up splitting our time between um, 
One, engaging in open-ended discussion that were grounded in theory or specific experiences we had. For example, we would read texts together, watch a film, things like that. But we also made time for uh, discussing the different possibilities for our collective project, as well as time for exchanging knowledge and skills and and really to support each other with our respective projects and needs that we had exchanged about. Um, to give an, another example, we identified through our discussions that prioritizing pleasure in collaborative work was really important to all of us. But strangely or surprisingly or not, it really wasn't as easy as it sounds to put it in practice throughout our time together in the residency. So the collective budget actually is the poison gift, as one could say, <laughs> in every uh, in every collective, uh, in every movement group that has come to an answer so far. And it's interesting to observe the different decision-making processes that um, each group um, adopts and where that leads you. And um, I know that you were thinking a lot about... Um, Something to leave back to the community of Onassisere, um, meaning something that the community could use in the future. I'm, I am thinking of it as a form of a gift. And I'm curious to know whether the notion of affective debt fits somehow into your collective discussion. Actually, it permeated throughout all of our discussion, this idea of the of the debt, the effective debt that um, we experience when we're engaged in some form of gifting. And that that is a reason why I at some point proposed that we read a text I had read in my in the program I did on community economic development. And it's a text by David Graeber. It really is a text about that specifically, about the fact that there is always some form of currency in gifting that is that effective debt. And actually, it was interesting to read it towards the end of the residency because we realized that a lot of the other texts we read or a lot of the discussions we had or the film that we watched that was proposed by Felipe, it's called Whiskey, Whiskey really played with, with that notion of, of the debt, that the effective debt in when we... Um, when we are gifting. So the fact that there is some form of currency involved that is non-monetary, but still a currency. And um, I chose that text because in it, Graeber speaks of three different forms of, or of organization, essentially, that permeates any group. Uh, one is um, communism, communism. But what he means by communism is mutual aid, solidarity, and he speaks of exchanges and hierarchy. So his premise is that in any group, there's always these three forms that exist, these three forms of, of relating to one another that coexist at the same time. And um, there isn't like any main concluding arguments besides that that there is a currency involved in gifting, that is this effective debt, and that it's negotiated through these three forms of, of um, organizing in groups. Um, 
Amanda, we are reaching the end of our discussion, but I'm wondering whether you witnessed any examples of community economies during these seven weeks. So I really like this question because it allows me to speak to, again, my understanding of community economies that is really uh, grounded in the ideas of Gibson Graham. And essentially what Gibson Graham speak to is the fact that community economies are all around us all the time and that we're always constantly engaging in them. And therefore it's difficult to bring up one I mean, I guess it's not difficult, but there is endless example of community economies in the way we organize with one another. And I think making them more visible was part of the process. But there is one uh, example that is really dear to me because it really has left an imprint and I think it will influence how I do projects, any project in the future. And it's the Solidarity Kindergarten we visited in Thessaloniki. It's called The Little Tree. Their whole idea is how to raise children as commoners. And uh, they have a beautiful space on this uh, hill. And the kids play outdoors most of the time. There's lots of um, art tools. And uh, I the education is really... Uh, well, it's based on a lot of Montessori uh, pedagogical frameworks, but the kids really are leading and involved in the decision-making processes. So that was very inspiring. I wish I went to this kindergarten or school like that. But there was one principle that I think is really core to how they operate, and I would like to center that principle in my future project, which is that they collectivize individual problems. For example, if a parent can pay to bring their child to the kindergarten, then the, the children can, of course, go without paying. But then there is, of course, a lack of funds that occur. And that is for the group, all the parents to, that, are, that are involved to figure out how to raise that money collectively. Um, to cover to cover the costs of of the child attending the kindergarten. I also wish I attended that uh, kindergarten, and I wish we had more of these examples because you know, starting from such a, a small or a little age and growing up with these principles could actually make this uh, social transformation that we are looking for. But um, we have to close this discussion today. And before we do so, I have one last question. I'm curious to know, now that you're going back to Montreal, what's next for you? So one project that I'm really excited to develop is a sort of residency program, although I don't like to call it that. I call it a nature retreat. And it's specifically geared towards... Um, broadly speaking, quote-unquote, care workers, but that it can, that includes community workers, that involves people who literally work in care work, but also includes um, socially engaged um, cultural workers art, and artists. So I'm really hoping to develop that in the surrounding region of Montreal um, and to collaborate with existing spaces that would be willing to 
host um, people for a duration of time, probably in the summer months, because it's much nicer in Montreal in the summer months. But the idea is also that it would be a fully subsidized program, and that's really important. So the um, it's really going to be about respite, about taking time to resource and to be either in the, alone or with other people. So I want to build it in a way where people can choose to go to retreat, really, um, and have some sort of like time for themselves or as a, a time to connect with other people that maybe are working towards, you know, social transformation, but in a different way. And that can be inspiring to, to share with one another in that space. Well, as a cultural worker, I'm really looking forward for you to make this happen. And I would like to visit that. Um, it was wonderful uh, speaking with you today, Amanda. Thank you so much for sharing Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more conversations, please subscribe to our channel. You can find more about the UNASSE Residency Program and each participant at www.onasis.org. This series is produced by UNASSE Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme. 